Well, if you have your Bibles this evening, I'd like to invite your attention to the book of uh, James again. As we talk about genuine faith, how genuine faith uh, acts, reacts, uh, relates to people. So genuine faith, uh, James chapter 3. We'll start with verse 13, and uh, then we'll look at probably most of the rest of the chapter uh, in James chapter 3. So we'll start in verse 13, work our way through as we go along. So let's look and see uh, the wisdom of genuine faith, the wisdom of genuine faith. So look at verse 13 as we look into God's Word and see what He has for us this evening. Uh, the Bible says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Um, I guess we could kind of look around and decide who the, <laughs> the wise one among us is, but we'll not do that tonight, all right? We'll just kind of look into ourselves and see if we're wise or not. Let him or her show. How do you, how do you prove that you're wise? You show it by your good conduct. That our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So faith is wise. Uh, I preached a series of sermons uh, several years ago called, What is the Wise Thing to Do? Some of y'all remember that, given the place you're at in your life, with your past, your present circumstances, your future hopes and dreams. What is the wise thing? It's a really good question to ask. What is the wise thing to do? Sometimes we wonder, what's God's will? Well, God's wise. And so that clarifies and cuts through a lot of things when you ask that question. What is the wise thing to do? I was reading where a young lady said she was on a date with a guy and he had uh, rented a movie for them to watch and he's going to cook a, you know, got a pizza from somewhere or another to heat up in the oven. And so that was going to be their date, going to watch a movie and pizza. So we had pizza cooking in the oven and she said the oven dinged and time for to take the pizza out. And she said, he looked at her dead in the eye and said, I hate this part. Went over to the oven, opened the oven up, reached in with his bare hands, grabbed the pizza and the oven rack, screaming, pulled it out, and set it on top of the stove. Not the wise thing to do. And so the problem was he knew he's done it before because he looked her in the eye and said, I hate this part. <laughs> and she said there was not a second date. And that's probably the wise thing for her to do, wouldn't you say? Well, interesting who might be the smartest person in the world. Uh, some people would say it was uh, Albert Einstein. Others say Isaac Newton, who was actually a theologian and a scientist, wrote some hymns and things, might be the wisest person who ever lived. There's a guy named William James Sittis, born 1898, died 1944, who's proclaimed as one of the smartest people uh, who ever lived. Uh, by the time he was two years old, he could read English. At age four, he was typing original work in French at age four. At age five, he had devised a formula whereby you could give him a date and he could tell you what day of the week that fell on. You could say April 3rd, 1965, and he could figure out. He came up with the formula on his own when he was Five years old. Five years old. Um, he uh, entered Ar Harvard at age 12, graduated cum laude before he was 16. Uh, mathematics was not only his uh, only forte, also at 16. He could speak and read fluently French, German, Russian, Greek, Latin, Armenian, and Turkish. Doesn't say if he could speak and understand Southern or not, but he could do the rest of those languages. There's another guy who's alive today, Terence Tao, who's pretty smart. He was born in 1975 in Australia. He's an Australian mathematician and a pretty bright guy. Um, when he started attending university-level mathematical courses at age nine, college math at age nine years old, he's a professor. He actually has U.S. 
citizenship now. He's a mathematics professor at UCLA. He supposedly scored the highest on the IQ test ever. He scored between 225 and 250, supposedly, not for sure, but that would be the highest score ever on the IQ test. Um, he was the youngest participant to enter in and win the International Mathematical Olympiad. Now, to tell you how smart I am, I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> As an international mathematic Olympia, I guess that's Olympics for math. So uh, he's one of the youngest ones to win at age 10. He won the bronze medal in 1986. At age 11, uh, he won the silver medal in 1987. Won the gold medal when he was 13 in uh, 1988. Uh, so he's the youngest winner for each of the medals in those categories. He earned his bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Australia at age 16. Bachelor's and master's degree. And uh, he's only one of three children in the history of St. John's, St. John Hopkins University of their study of extraordinary talent. I have not been in that study. <laughs> he's one of only three to score above 700 on the SAT math section where he scored 760, uh, 760 as a child. Now, those are some really, really smart people, right? Um, if you want to train for the uh, Mathematical Olympiad, see Randy Barefoot. He can train you and help you out in, uh, in that direction. But uh, there's a difference now. There's a difference in being smart and being wise. They overlap sometimes. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive. They're not at war. But there is a difference between being smart and being wise. And James asks the question, who is who's wise among you? And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Uh, James 3.13a, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? And he may be throwing a little bit of shade at some of the guys who want to be teachers in the church. Because if you remember at the early part of James 3, he said, uh, don't let a bunch of you try to be teachers. And uh, we said that that seems to be, especially when you look at the end of 3, he talks a lot about humility and meekness and against envy and selfish ambition. So I, I do think he's throwing a little shade at some people who wanted to be thought well of because of how wise they were in Scripture and how good of a teacher they were and things like that. And so James is, and it's not, I don't think it's an accident, I know it's not an accident, that right after his section on speech, he has a section on wisdom. Because what? It takes a wise person to know how to speak. It takes a wise person to know when not to speak, how to be slow to anger, slow to speak, and quick to listen. Okay, James said that in chapter 1. So he's building on all this. After his section on words, remember last week, is it kind, is it necessary, is it true? That could be a very wise thing to do. And so now he's digging into this idea about wisdom. Warren Wiersbe said, knowledge enables us to take things apart, but wisdom enables us to put things together and relate God's truth to daily life. Wisdom helps us to know how to live, how to take God's Word. See, there's a difference in being smart in God's Word and knowing what it says and what it means and being able to memorize it. And those are good things. But it takes a wise person to know how does that look today in my family, with my children, my workplace, my friendships. What is, how, does a, how does a wise person live? Uh, you've heard of Murphy's Law. I've come up with Barry's Law. Barry's Law is this. If you holler something at a youth sporting event derogatory about an athlete or a cheerleader, there's above 90% chance their parent is sitting close by. <laughs> and that is not bad luck. That's accountability, okay? That's just being unwise. I heard about a sign at a Little League sports thing and said this. The sign said, that, number one, these are kids. Number two, this is a game. 
Number three, coaches are volunteers. Number four, umpires are human. And number five, your child is not being scouted by Alabama or Auburn today. <laughs> Good little bit. It helps you to be wise at a children's sporting event. There's some things that you need to say and some things that you don't need to say. So let's talk about it. What is the wise thing to do? Good question. So I'm going to talk about three things about God's wisdom and how we can not only take things apart, but know how to have God put our lives together, our families together. And it takes a lot of wisdom for a church to know how to meld together people of different personalities, different backgrounds, how we can be a family together advancing the kingdom of God, intentionally making disciples. What is our plan? What is the wise thing to do to make disciples. That's why we're here. We're here to glorify God. One of the ways we do that, Jesus said the great commandment to what? Make disciples. So what's our plan for making disciples, for making followers of Jesus? So let's talk about it, three things. First of all, let's talk about the origins of wisdom. Your wisdom comes from somewhere. We're going to see tonight that wisdom typically comes uh, either from Satan or God. Either from our flesh, from a sinful place, from a place opposed to God, or wisdom comes from God. It can come from one of those two places. Look at James 3, and uh, we'll look at verse 15 and verse 17, the first part of that. What does it say? Such wisdom, this is the New International Version, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And we're going to take that apart in the second point, but just seeing where it some wisdom comes from. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from above, and we're going to, as I said, we're going to look at that, take that apart in the second point, but the first point just says this, there's some wisdom that comes from the world or Satan, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, and there's some wisdom that comes from God. So we need to look at where is the origin of the wisdom coming from, true, real wisdom comes from above if it doesn't come from God we have to ask ourselves how wise is this really how wise are we really being see man unlocks the secrets of the universe man discovers things in science man invents things that we can do some pretty cool things but we don't always know what to do with it and one of my concerns and probably some of your concerns is that, and it has been for, for, for many years, is that our inventions are outpacing our morals. We're inventing things, but we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to control them. And it seems like every time we increase in knowledge, it magnifies or creates bigger problems. The Bible says in Proverbs 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. It's almost like when there's an invention, there needs to be a group of godly wise people that say, okay, here's what we need to do with this. You think about things like TV. I mean, Billy Graham was one of the first ones to be wise enough to say this can be used to advance the gospel. Other things, you think about things like the internet, you think about things like the cell phone, you think about things like social media. And now, of course, one of the big concerns we have is artificial intelligence. Where is this thing going? Well, you know, if you have knowledge and you have invention, you have wisdom, but you don't, know how, you don't have the morals to know what to do with it, you don't have the godly wisdom to know how it's to be employed, almost all of those things are neutral morally. TV, phone, internet, social media, uh, all of that stuff is neutrally, I mean, it's morally neutral, doesn't it? It's what we do with it that makes it immoral or 
moral. So we need to understand that worldly wisdom comes from a limited perspective. Worldly wisdom tends to think what? How can this help me today? How can this make my life more fun today? How can this help me to have more pleasure today? How can this distract me today? How can this kind of help me forget about my problems for a little while today? Very limited perspective. Worldly wisdom's that way. God's wisdom takes, what is this going to do for 10,000 years? What is that? How's this going to help me 30 years from now? How's this going to help my family 15 years from now? What is the wise thing to do with where I want to go in life and where I want to end up in eternity? And what kind of eternity do I want to have? James 3, 4. Look at what the message says. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. Think about all the time-saving devices that we've invented in the last 30 years. Microwave ovens, cell phones, all these kind of things, all these time-saving devices. And I don't know that we have any more relaxed pace of life than my dad did when he grew up without indoor plumbing or electricity. It seems like we're busier, we're more frazzled, we're more stressed. The the time-saving devices isn't really saving us a lot of time. God's wisdom is how do we make the most of the time we have, not how can we, I mean, you know, guys, I read about Pop-Tarts. It says that um, if you don't want to put your Pop-Tart in a toaster, there's microwave directions. And dude, if you don't have 30 seconds for your Pop-Tart to come up in the the toaster, you might need to build a little margin in your life. (laughs) You're in a little bit too much of a hurry. I heard about a guy years ago met with a a Chinese philosopher that was hosting him in the United States. And he met him at the train station. And when he got off the train station, they were going to run to the subway. And uh, he's got this Chinese guy in America. And he's running him through the subway station. And he says, hurry, hurry, hurry. If we can make this next train, we'll save three minutes and the Chinese philosopher said and what significant thing are we going to do with the three minutes that we save see that's a little bit more wisdom what are you going to do that's probably a pretty good question for us to ask a couple of times this week what is the wise thing for me to do in the next three minutes He's sitting at the house, you have a, a couple of minutes, and, and I know a lot of times we don't think we have a couple of minutes, but I mean, you look at how much news we watch and how much social media we consume and how many times, you know, all this stuff. Probably got three minutes somewhere or another in the day. And to ask, what is the best way to spend the next three minutes? What, what is a wise thing to do the next three minutes of my life? Is there somebody I need to call? Is there a text? Is, should I go sit in my child's room and just kind of hang out for three minutes and have fun, play a game, something like that with them? What is really the wise thing to do? False or worldly wisdom is marked by envy and selfish ambition. And I wonder if that's kind of what James is referring to in James when he says not many of you should become teachers because they're that way. As I said, a lot of it, you hear this selfish ambition, envy. I was listening to a guy the other day, and he said, you know, World War I, World War II, a lot of the veterans that came home, they were celebrated as heroes. And uh, often, when they were interviewed, they would say things like, you know, I don't really consider myself a hero. The heroes are the ones that lost their lives on the battlefield. I'm grateful I had a chance to serve my country. Very humble, very meek about what they did, and did extraordinary things. 
but you know weren't you know out there like I'm the hero I'm the you know they had very very humble appearance about it today you get a guy being paid 10 million dollars a year and he tackles somebody for a two-yard loss and what does he do jumps up superman you know doing all this kind of stuff you know it's like all right that's not really a hero you didn't pay 10 million dollars a year to stop the guy okay the hero is the guy who's willing to sacrifice his life for his country. The hero is the missionary who goes out to share the gospel with somebody. The hero is the guy who takes a lower paying job to minister to somebody else the gospel of Jesus. So number one, we look at the origin. Secondly, there's a contrast in operations. How does this thing take place? Okay, how do, what are the effects? What are the effects of the, this action? What are the effects of this word? How are they going to, what kind of impact are they going to have on the people in the world uh, around me? Look at James chapter 3. We'll look at verses 13 through 15. Then we'll jump down to verse 17 in a minute. He's going to talk about earthly wisdom first. Who's wise to understanding among you? Let them show that by their good life, by deeds done in humility, it comes from wisdom. Now here he gets down to worldly wisdom. Here's what it looks like. If you harbor bitter envy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. See, some people were exhibiting in the church of James's day. I know nobody in our day would ever do this, but they're exhibiting characteristics in the church that are unspiritual. He says they're earthly. The word, and we'll get to it in a minute. The word earthly means natural. It's, it's opposed to God's wisdom. Okay, it's natural as opposed to supernatural. It even says it's demonic. Now, it takes a pretty bold guy to stand up and say, some of y'all acting kind of demonic. <laughs> some of y'all's wisdom acts like it's coming from the wrong side. And envy and selfish ambition sounds like people that want to be the center of attention. Sounds like people that want to be looked up to. Sounds like people that instead of wanting to be good followers of Jesus, want to be thought of as good followers of Jesus. There's a difference in sincerely wanting to follow Jesus and sincerely wanting to glorify God. There's a difference in that and somebody who wants other people to say, boy, you're a great Christian. You really follow God. I admire you for your God. And those are two different things. That's where this bitter envy and selfishness comes in. Self-centered ambition is at the heart of worldly wisdom. And James says, it's just demonic. And this kind of stuff produces anger, produces bitterness, it produces resentment, it produces division. And it's no good in a family. Look at number one, envy, 14a. What is, he talks about envy, carries the idea of being ambitious for the wrong reasons. Wanting people to look up to you. Wanting people to think you're something that you're not. They argue, even the apostles argued over who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. And of course, envy can be about a vehicle. It can be about a job. It can be about a family. It can be about how many likes you get on social media. Uh, there's a lot of ways. Envy, envy is being, is, 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 is kind of that idea of being jealous what somebody else, I wish I had that without having to pay the price they paid to get there. So envy is part of worldly wisdom. I wish what I had, I wish what I had, but I want to have it, I wish I had what you had, but I want to get it in the easy way. Secondly, selfish ambition. The word means party spirit, 
the idea of divisiveness. It's the idea of, of doing things for myself. I want, I want what makes me happy, what makes me well thought of, what makes me pleasurable, what's comfortable for me, and forgets about what's good for the church, forgets about what's good for the family, forgets about what's good for, the, for my friends. It's all about me. Very, very self-centered, self-focused kind of a, kind of a wisdom. A wisdom in the world measures everything by how it affects you. That's worldly wisdom. How does this affect me? Worldly wisdom hardly ever takes into consideration, does this help you? Does this promote the vision? Does this promote the gospel? I, I heard a question years ago, and I remember it occasionally when I'm wise, and I'm not always wise for sure. But the guy was talking on the family, on the home, and he said one of the best questions that you can ask in the home is, how can I help? How can I help? And I have found that to be a very, very good question. If, if, you know, your kids are not doing well or your spouse is not doing well, somebody's having a bad day or whatever, it's so easy to get caught up in that because what? When they're having a bad day, it tends to bleed into my day. It kind of makes me have a bad day, and I don't want to have a bad day. So if you just get your act together, I could have a better evening, right? And boy, now you got two selfish ambitions going against each other. Y'all know that's not going to work well. And I've learned, I am learning, I haven't learned it, but I am learning, continuing to learn, hopefully learning, that to ask I'm sorry you're having a hard time here. How can I help? How can I help? It's a very wise thing to do. Uh, next, next one is boasting. Boasting. Pride loves to boast. And you know, there's a way, there's a way to report the blessings of God that gives God glory. And there's a way to report the blessings of God that puts the attention on you. Puts the center on you. Man, you know, I just, it's just hard to believe how God uses me. I'm just amazed at how God gives me the right thing to say at the right time. I'm just amazed at how I was able to see that opportunity. See, that's all about me, right? See, there's a way to do it, a way that says, I'm just so grateful that God's given me opportunity to do that. So grateful for God to be able to show me some things that he's doing in the world around me, boasting sinners once again, sinners, everything on me. I heard one guy said, there's no place for a mutual admiration society amongst God's people. I admire me, you admire you, and we all admire ourselves, right? That's not the way it is. I heard about a lady who left her church. She decided she couldn't go to church anymore because she felt like that she should be the featured soloist two Sundays a month in her church. Featured soloist two, two Sundays a month. And she brought the idea to the pastor, and she said, not really, uh, probably the music minister who brought it to the pastor, and uh, said she wants to be the featured soloist twice a month. The pastor said, I we're not going to do that. Uh, we'll, give, we'll spread that around a little bit. Let some more people do that. And she left because they didn't appreciate the talented person they had. See, that's, that sounds a lot more like boasting, doesn't it? Uh, sounds a lot more like performance. Sounds a lot more like, look at me, than it does sound like true worship. And then there's the unspiritual or sensual, earthly, uh, is what it may, some people, some... Um, some translations say, see where I get a word psychology from. It's about, it's, it's a worldly wisdom, a worldly way of thinking. And the idea is unspiritual as opposed to spiritual. Natural as opposed to supernatural. Think of it as the world opposed to God. Any way I think that is opposed to God's way, any way that I speak that is opposed to God's way is worldly wisdom. 
And I need to be willing to say, Lord, in your perspective, what is the wise thing to do? The bumper sticker says, he who dies with the most toys wins. What the bumper sticker ought to say is, he who dies with the most toys is dead. <laughs> That's what you are. You're dead. And then somebody else is going to play with your toys, right? Do you have any investments in heaven? You know, a lot of people say, well, you, you, you know, you can't take it with you, and you can't, but you can send it on ahead. You can invest by your deeds, by your giving, by your love, by your attention. You can invest in your eternal future. That truly is the wise thing to do. And, and the last one is demonic. Sounds a little harsh, sounds a little rough, but I mean, think about it. Back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Satan tries to what? Twist God's word, corrupt God's word, and tries to get Eve to think in a way opposed to what God's way. And it sounds good. It sounds pleasurable. It's going to make me smart. It's going to make me have a good life. I'm going to get along better. I'm going to prosper more. He tries to take God's word and corrupt it, and he's still doing it. And the way he does it is to try to appeal to what makes me happy, what, make, what makes things fun, what I really want, what makes me comfortable. And when things are, <laughs> when things are appealing to my flesh, I, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not God, but I do need to kind of filter it through and say, even though he's not saying, you know, go sacrifice chickens or something, that's not all demonic stuff. It's demonic is appealing to my flesh as opposed to God. And so this is worldly wisdom. The way to true wisdom is very, very different. Look at Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Once again, what does he say? You show it by your good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. When there is true wisdom at work, there is a sense of humility. There's a sense of submission. There's a sense of, God, I want you to get all the glory here. I just want to follow you, Jesus Christ, is our wisdom. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.30, the New Living Translation. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Thereby what? We should think about Jesus. What would Jesus do? You know, the, it used to be a lot more popular than this today, the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, to soak ourselves in the life of Christ. One of the good things I would encourage you is to read often in the Gospels. To read often about the life of Jesus. To soak yourself in the life of Christ. Why? He is, he is our wisdom. And not only is he our wisdom, but he's given us his word as our wisdom. His word is wisdom to us. And so anytime I catch myself taking a plain teaching. Now some teaching is hard to understand. Some teaching, you know, you, you have different interpretations. But when I catch myself... Trying to take the plain teaching of God's word and make it fit my lifestyle, then I'm I'm not really submitting to the God's word as my wisdom, right? I have decided that I'm my wisdom. And that's why when sometimes when people say, Well, I don't know why you want to believe that. It's not necessarily because I want to believe it, it's because it's what God's word says. God's word says some things that I don't really like. Says some things that are hard. Says some things that I wish it was differently. But I, when it comes to that, I have to decide, is God wiser than me? Does God know better than me? Of course, I, the answer to that is yes, but I prove that by the way that I live. So look in verse 17. 
You know, Paul told Timothy, the scripture able to make you wise unto salvation. Look at James 3.17, New International Version. But the wisdom that comes from above, that comes from heaven, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. First of all, purity. The idea is that it's unsullied, it's uncorrupted, it's, it doesn't have other stuff mixed in with it. The idea is of unmixed motives. And this paves the way for the rest of it. So purity says, without, un, without me wanting stuff for myself, it's unmixed motives of saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? In this situation, how do you want me to speak? Because here's the thing. If you have something you want to eat or drink, it doesn't take a whole lot of dirt in it to make you not want it, right? You want it pure. Uh, we were going to um, see family this week. Hannah Grace got to, well, she wasn't feeling well. She's been a little sick over the last few days. And so she wanted to stop at, um, at Starbucks. There's something called a medicine ball or something at Starbucks. It's some kind of tea that has stuff that's supposed to be good for your throat or whatever. And so she wanted to stop and get one of those. And so we stopped and got it. And uh, then she got feeling bad. She didn't want to drink it. Well, I'd forgotten about it. And the next day I saw the Starbucks cup in the car. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be tea bags in it. <laughs> and so I opened it up. Ah! <laughs> There's something growing in this drink, man. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to tell you something. When I open that drink, I want nothing to do with it, right? Because it's like something growing in there. <laughs> what in the world was growing in that? You know, you, just, you want pure stuff. You want pure coffee, right? You don't want something mixed in there with it. So God is holy, and the wisdom from above is holy wisdom. Secondly, it's peace-loving. Peace-loving. And very important here because what? He's dealing with divisions in the church. He's going to say in James chapter 4, where are these wars coming from? He's not talking about wars in other places. He's talking about the church. It's a hard word for conflict. Where's all this conflict coming from in the church? He said, true wisdom, peace-loving, peace-loving above me getting my way. One of the things that so many people misunderstand about Southern Baptist churches is that we do democratic form of government, but it doesn't mean that God's way is a democratic way. It's not. I've heard people say, well, I've been part of a Baptist church because I like to be able to have my own say, have my own vote. Well, the idea is that we come together to seek God's will and we do vote because we believe God speaks through the body. God speaks to the body better than God speaks through somebody, um, you know, somebody ecclesiastical person, you know, that's, you know, 100 miles away. We believe God speaks through this local body. But it's not me getting my say, Right? It's me trying to submit to God and understanding what he really wants. That's why we tie everything as we can together with the mission statement. The mission of Hopewell Baptist Church, glorify God by having a great commitment, the great commandment, great commission. That way, the youth ministry and the music ministry are not opposed to each other. The children's ministry and deacon's ministry are not opposed to each other. We all work together, right? We all work together. Rhonda's tasked with leading the church in praising and worshiping God. Holt is tasked with leading the church to do youth ministry. It's not like we're going to pay you, you go do it. Nice, good luck. <laughs> Hope you do well with that. No, no, no. We're all in it together. We all do this together. We're all a part of the music ministry. We're all part of the youth ministry. We're all a part of vacation Bible school ministry. It's all together. And we're peace-loving. Why? Because it's not our church. God's church and every smidgen of it belongs to him. Then it says that as we pursue peace, by the way, the word for peace is shalom, may all be well with you. The sense of wholeness. Third one is considerate or submissive or willing 
to yield. One person called this sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. This is the idea. It's the opposite of being stubborn. It's being willing to change. It's being willing to listen to the other time. A person who's considered or submissive or willing to yield is willing to really listen to what you're saying. I don't know if I agree with that or not, but I'm going to listen to you. And then I'm going to go home and pray about it, especially if it's a church situation. I'm going to pray about it and see if I can understand what the mind of God is. When Laura and I uh, have disagreements about things, and occasionally she's wrong and we have a disagreement or two. She's usually right. But typically, if it, if it gets to the point where we really kind of are, are at an impasse, uh, a lot of times what we'll do is say, why don't we take 24 hours and pray about it? Now, that is not an excuse to take some time off for me to get my ammunition up. <laughs> or I can convince her of my way, right? And the times that we've done that well, and it's not been every time, but the times we've done that well, typically when we come back together, I see where she's coming from and I see the wisdom that she has on a very rare occasion, she'll see a little bit of wisdom that I had in the middle of that. And the true answer or the best thing we decide is usually she has part of it, I have part of it, and we bring it together. Hardly ever is it she was all right and I was all wrong or I was all right and she was all wrong. It is that willingness to listen, that willingness to yield, that willingness to say, yeah, be teachable. The idea is to be teachable. And then it says full of mercy and good fruit. Full of mercy. Do we full of is to be controlled by. And so wisdom is to be controlled by mercy. Jesus rarely scolded people that were trying to get their life right. Jesus rarely scolded people that really were in a bad place. I mean, really were just out, out sinning, but were willing to turn around. He used, he, he held his hardest scolding for self-righteous people. For people who were not teachable. For people who were ingrained. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way I've taught. My granddaddy did it this way. And it's going to be this way without listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. These guys were steeped in Bible study. Memorized chunks of the Old Testament. And God stood in front of them. And they couldn't recognize him. And that scares me, y'all. That scares these people that are much like a Pharisee. They're much like, I mean, they're the most, they're the ones that are most like of anybody in the Bible, in the New Testament, really. They believed in the Bible. They believed the resurrection. They believed in demons. They, they studied the word. They were faithful to church. They, they did all that stuff. But they missed God because they forgot about being submissive and full of mercy and good fruit. Good fruit comes from what? Comes from good trees. Uh, one of the things that Laura and I decided early on since, you know, we're, I'm a pastor, she's a pastor's wife, we pastor the church. We knew as Christians, not just as pastors, but as Christians, we knew there were a lot of things we were going to say no to to our kids. Just were, just were. Can we go to that party? No. Can we go watch that movie? No. I mean, we just knew there's a lot of no things that were going to happen in our life. And one of the things we felt like the Lord helped us with early on, early on, was to say yes to everything we could because we knew it was going to be a lot of no's and there was some stuff and I'm not talking about yes to something that was wrong but we tried as best we could and, and, and we didn't always do it well but when they came with a request that we typically would say no we would say let mommy and daddy pray about it and we would think about it and we would say you know this may be one of the situations there's really nothing wrong with this you know there's 
that this may be one of those situations we want to say yes to because we do not want them to grow up with God being a no God. You can't God. Stop it, God. <laughs> we wanted God to have a friendly face. We wanted God to have a loving face. We wanted God to have an abundant life. And we feel like God helped us with that uh, to some degree. All right, so um, last of all, Last of all, we look at contrast in the outcomes. We look at contrast in the origins and the operations. And then in the outcome, what are the outcomes of our wisdom? Look at James 3, 16 and 18. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Worldly wisdom ends up in worldly results. Spiritual wisdom ends up in godly results. And God wants peace. It's not peace at any price. It's not peace at the expense of purity. It's purity first, okay? And if we're truly walking in purity together, we'll walk in peace. And so we want to be the kind of people who sow peaceful things and reap a harvest of righteousness. So we have to ask, what is the wise thing to do? And it's very interesting. You know, James... It's a wisdom. I've told you before that this really is kind of a wisdom literature. It, it, you hear a lot of proverbs in this. But in this passage, you hear the Beatitudes. Listen to what I'm talking about. James says, wisdom from above is pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. James says, real, real wisdom is peace-loving. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. James said real wisdom is gentle. Jesus said blessed are the meek or the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. James says real, real uh, wisdom is submissive. Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James says real wisdom is full of mercy. Jesus said blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. James says well we'll reap a harvest of righteousness. Jesus said blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. When a husband and wife go humbly before God with a pure heart and say, Lord, we want our home to honor you. We want our life to reflect you. And, and when I do wedding ceremonies, a lot of times I'll say something like, I pray that God uses your home to attract many people to Jesus. It's one of the purposes of the family. For the purposes of the home. It's not just about us being happy and us having a long, happy life together. One of the purposes of the home, and I really believe we have a great opportunity in our day where we have joyful, peaceful homes to people who love being married and love their spouse and enjoy their spouses are very odd in our day, and it's a great testimony uh, for Jesus. Um, Christopher Hall, I told you about him this morning. He said, Jesus has no desire to discourage sinners. For he wants us to change and learn a different way to live. He knows scolding doesn't help. Nagging doesn't help. Condemnation doesn't help. He doesn't yell at folks who want to change. He saves his yelling for the self-righteous. What is the wise thing to do? Is to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. I told you, and many of y'all know, we went to Jackson this last week to visit uh, Laura's sister, Allie, her husband, Marshall, and their three girls. And when we got there, they, they love, they're animal lovers, you know, they love animals. They have a little dog right now, um, uh, little, one of those uh, Teddy Roosevelt terriers, got the little small terrier, and he's got rabbit ears. <laughs> they just look so funny. And so they got the little terrier, they've always had dogs and cats and stuff, but they just have the one dog right now. And when we got there, I walked outside, and there's this little Siamese kitten at their door. I said, oh, y'all got a cat? 
No, the cat just showed up. Now, I don't know if that cat knew where he was showing up. He'd be really wise if he did. <laughs> he showed up at the right place. And so I, I asked him, I said, um, is that y'all's cat? And they said, no, the cat just showed up here. And Marshall said, no, the cat's not staying. I said, okay. And so about that evening, uh, the girls were like, can the cat come in? Can the cat come in? And I mean, when you pick the cat up, he is, I mean, the cat was just bones. It was just hard to even pet the cat. It was really sad. And so by that evening, he said, okay, you can bring it in, but you can't put it down. <laughs> you got to hold it in your hands, all right? And so they come in, they held it in their hands. About two hours later, y'all know what I said, huh? Hey, bud, uh, looks like you got your cat on the floor there. <laughs> I know it, I know it. And y'all, this cat is smart. Every time somebody sat down on the couch, he just snuggled up to them, just right there. I got a picture of Hannah Grace with the cat just laying right across her chest. Every time one of his girls sits down, the cat's just laying right there on top of him. I mean, that cat was just, I mean, he was just a snuggling cat, you know. And uh, so they put him out at night because they didn't have a litter box or anything like that. And so the next morning I got up, and there's the cat already in the house, you know. And I asked Allie, I said, well, I see the cat's in the house. She said, I woke up this morning, and Marsha was sitting on the couch, and the cat was right there. <laughs> Had his head right there on the neck, sleeping, just all cuddled up. I said, bud, looks like you're in the cat business. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, I think I may be. <laughs> so the cat knew what? This is, this is the best I've ever had. Because they, what, they fed the cat, gave the cat water and stuff like that. The cat thinks, man, this is way better than that is out there. This is protection. This is love. This is food. I need to make the most. Uh, I know the cat can't think that way. But here's the thing. Here's the application for us. We need to know where true home really is. We need to know where our protection is where God's favor is, where our food is, where our daily bread is. We need to know who to get close and to stay close to. And when the storms come or when scary things happen, we don't want to run away. We want to run too and get just as close as we possibly can. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Lisa's going to come to the piano and She's going to play something uh, softly here in just a moment. Here's the thing. A little cat didn't have to be taught to snuggle up. <laughs> a little cat didn't have to be taught to lay in people's laps. A little cat didn't have to be taught uh, to hang in there close. And, uh, and uh, every time they put, him, put the little cat outside, when the door opened, he was coming in. <laughs> he knew where home was. And, and that's wise. He didn't have to be taught that. We have to be taught that. To always be looking for a way to get close to God, to get close to our Heavenly Father and to live in relationship with Him. And so, Father, tonight there's an awful lot of words in our world, an awful lot of ideas in our world, an awful lot of people trying to get our ear. Lord, help us to have an ear for Jesus. Help us to have an ear for the Holy Spirit to be able to distinguish between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Lord, I know your word says there's a way that looks like it's the way of life, but in the end, it leads to death. And I know, Lord, Satan does his very, very best to try to distort and deceive and divide. Give us wisdom to see his lies and to recognize your truth. 
as you pray tonight, talk to the Lord. What's the biggest takeaway for you today? As we talked this morning about experiencing the God who's amazingly able tonight, as we talk about true godly wisdom, uh, true wisdom says, what is God saying to me right now? What do I take away from this day and take it into my week this week? Father, thank you. Touch us, encourage us. Lord, speak to us right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, lease the place. Talk to Jesus. Respond to him right now.